The MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as their top pick in a compressor shakedown. Also, Best Rest is a North American distributor for Google Tech filters, the filters that should be on your bike. Visit them at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. Today, we've got some top tips from world travelers for your adventures, whether it's around the world or just out for a week or a couple of days. This is Adventure Rider Radio. I'm Jim Martin. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles that's been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They've got 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can also sign up for their e-rider newsletter. It's free and I highly recommend it. That's www.maxbmw.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any bag into motorcycle luggage with this unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding, which has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com If you were to attend a Horizons Unlimited meet or maybe an Overland Expo or Overland event in the UK, you could easily get the impression that adventure, true adventure, is traversing the world, going to remote lands, seeing strange people, and most importantly, discomfort, physical discomfort, extreme riding conditions, danger, and even risk. But is that really adventure or is this just sort of maybe the, the far side of the scale? Well, Dr. Greg Fraser has been around the world, I don't know how many times now, five, six times. He's got a good handle on adventure, at least his version of adventure. I don't know that you have to have a, um, a problem to have an adventure. Yeah, those are memories that you look at, and they were tough at the time, but I think uh, yeah, the adventure today is, uh, each for each one of us, it's... Uh, a different uh, scale or uh, envelope, let's put it that way. What for my buddy uh, who just came back from a uh, trip in the Alps, he'd never been out of the country before. And for him, that was highly risky. 
for me uh, that uh, my my meter is a uh, got different a, a different scale. What one guy would would find as a, a extremely risky uh, tour, a motorcycle trip, uh, the next person wouldn't find it risky at all. It's it would, offhand, it would just be a tour. And it doesn't have to incorporate uh, off-road or gravel, at least in my, my definition. Uh, I debate this with uh, a fellow uh, motorcyclist by the name of Dave Barr. And uh, Dave's been around the world on his Harley. He did 83,000 miles, and he doesn't have any legs. Dave uh, says that if it's going to be an adventure, it's got to incorporate off-pavement. And I disagree with him. I've, I've had some uh, great experiences that had a high degree of risk that I was able to manage that didn't incorporate any gravel or tracks or trails. Uh, I've had an another acquaintance who just formed a, a company to promote uh, his Christian beliefs and uh, motorcycling. Uh, he argues that uh, to be an adventure, it's got to be uh, somehow tied into rough camping. We hear many travelers on this show telling us that we should just head out there and explore. Just get out there and ride. Do it. Whatever it takes, just get yourself together and do it. Because like they say, everyone can do it or almost everyone can do it. And many we've had on this show said that before they left, they really thought they couldn't and they were terrified of it. Only to find out after being on the road just a, a short while that it became incredibly easy. And, and so much so that we've heard people say that, after being on the road, someone will say to them, you're so brave at what you do. And they almost feel a little embarrassed because they realize just how easy it is. Now, I think that's good advice. As long as you're prepared for things, if they go pear-shaped. In other words, if things go wrong, you need to be prepared for that as well. Of course, there's always more than one way to crack an egg, so they say. Meaning that there's some travelers that thrive in a lack of planning where others plan excessively. The lack of planning side of things, for instance, like Luke Jelmy. It was the weirdest encounter that actually kicked it all off and, and really pushed it, pushed me into this. It was, I, I was happy in my job and I was, I was taking a lunch break and uh, I, I saw this bum, he was a hobo on a, um, on a park bench and he's just sitting there kind of taking the air and just enjoying his day and it was a beautiful sun shining day. I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm here. I am in the sky, what I used to call the sky prison or the, the bad place, the job. And, um, here's this guy out here just enjoying the sunshine. Oh, that, and, and I couldn't tell if he was a traveler or not. He had this huge backpack on him and I'm like, well, that makes him look like a backpacker, but he's really just too filthy to be a, a traveler, he's got to be homeless. And I really couldn't put my finger on it. But all I could put my finger on was that he was having a better day than I was. And so in that kind of lightning bolt of, of kind of getting hit between the eyes with that, I've gone, well, why, why, don't, why wouldn't I switch places with him? And so I've, I've, I've gone back to work and, and booked a one-way ticket to London, just like that, like in the, the moment I got back to work, just bang, one-way ticket to London. And then it kind of all unraveled from there. 
Okay, Luke Jelmy's approach is not the most common, but it does show that it works for some people. I think most travelers will agree, though, that the, the no plan approach is rare and it has a personality type of its own. In fact, if you have the personality for a no plan approach, you likely already know it. And you're probably right now hanging off the side of some mountain on a cliff, considering what you can use for a rope that you didn't bother to bring. But as fun and exciting as it all is, we need to have our eyes wide open because as Simon Thomas says, adventure bites. Adventure has teeth, it can bite. And you know, jump on the adventure bandwagon, but just make sure that you've got some, you know, a plan B and make sure you've got a skill set or a, a get out of jail free card um, because you've got to make sure that as and when adventure, right, you know, adventure, rises its uglier head and bites you on the ass make sure you can you can deal with it um because trust me again from experience it's at those times when you're forced to deal with it that you find out whether or not you've got the physical and mental reserves that you hoped you were going to have so doing your due diligence in most cases is a wise bit of advice was it was it sam manicom um a good friend of ours who said to us um, this is before we really got to know him. He said, for every year you plan to be away, you need to spend one year prepping. And at the time I was thinking, good Lord, that just sounds ridiculous. Um, now being on the other side of the fence, it, it couldn't have been truer. Yeah, especially the onset, um, you know, plan, planning everything from scratch. Now we just do it as we go. But I would imagine percentage-wise that still works out true. The amount of planning that we have to the amount of, of actually doing, I'd imagine it still works bit, out that yeah, way. Yeah, it's a little bit different when you're, when you're planning to leave. When you're planning to leave, it's not just the yeah. next stage. It's, it's taking it's your life, mortgage, banks the money you owe to the guy down the pool hall, the I mean, five bucks, make, Making family. sure you've got power of attorney so that if you both get killed on the road, somebody can sign your documents at your home, uh, making your will out. Uh, I mean, all of these things that people don't really want to think about. Having um, uncomfortable conversations about mortality with parents and friends that people just don't have because, you know, they don't face up to these risks. But the... We had a lot of things building up. There were a lot of frustrations, a lot of times where we would sit, look at one another and go, the person that you thought would never be ill is ill, i.e. a parent, um, a very close friend. What are we doing and why are we doing it? Um, Suddenly all the old cliches were coming out of the box and rather than sounding like cliches, they were suddenly sounding like resounding truths. Life yeah. is not a dress rehearsal, yeah, all, that, all that kind of you stuff. You only live once. Um, all of these things come into your mind. And initially you just go, ah, yeah, well, you only live once, ha ha. But it's all true. I'd rather regret the things that I have done than regret the things I'd wish I'd done now the opportunity has passed me by. But no matter how you define adventure or how far you want to go or how many countries, provinces, states, or kilometers it takes to get you excited, 
learning from others can make things run a whole lot smoother. And I guess for us motorcyclists, one of the best places to start is by attending a Horizons Unlimited meet. Horizons Unlimited, or HU, began before the internet did as a bulletin board run by travelers Susan and Grant Johnson. And they often hear stories like this one from Brent Carroll. Brent went to an HU meet and things suddenly became possible that otherwise seemed impossible. Uh, I I discovered Horizons Unlimited and uh, that sort of opened the door. I, I discovered as I got deeper and deeper into the community that um, of the several groups that were out there that were involved with uh, quote-unquote adventure motorcycling, Horizons Unlimited seemed to have a pretty big following. And the things that people were talking about when they talked about Horizons Unlimited really resonated with me. Uh, You know, like borders are only in your mind and uh, the only impossible journey is the one you never begin. And uh, so I set about to, to, to actually attend a meeting. And I attended my first meeting in Virginia in 2015 in, at Appomattox. It was their first meeting there. But you were no stranger to travel. I mean, you, you were in the Navy. You traveled in the Navy. You took vacations around. You, you'd been around the world, hadn't you? I did. I've, uh, and I spent 20 years in the Navy and visited lots of places. And I also took lots of vacations. But there, that to me, wasn't the same thing. Um, vacations, for example, are, are places that you, you know, you go and you pay lots of money to be catered to and you sort of turn off the world and relax. Uh, in, in the Navy, the places that I visited were, um, you know, for a weekend in some strange city that you sort of walked around in. Uh, but that, to me, was, again, different than traveling on your own on a motorcycle and visiting these places. Um, so I just got really interested in it. I got hooked actually after that initial meeting in Appomattox. Um, I learned a lot. I met lots of people who'd actually done trips around the world. And uh, I left that weekend saying, I'm going to do this. I have to do this. And I didn't say one day, I said, I'm going to do this. Now, if you're planning a round-the-world trip, you'll want to find all the places or sites that you want to see. But if you're looking to do something, maybe some more exploring in a certain area, or maybe you're planning a shorter trip where the objective is to find good riding places or, or neat locations, there's another resource that may help you find some great riding or, or an area or some specifics that aren't as widely publicized as other mainstream features that you might see or tourist attractions. Don Parsons travels with his motorcycle in a camper trailer. He picks out local areas to explore, parks his camper, and heads out on his motorcycle to do sort of reconnaissance trips from his camper, maybe for a day or a couple of days. But his method for finding great places to explore and those special campsites, etc., that only locals know, is to connect with the locals directly. Don, when planning for this trip, you found something really valuable in accessing local forums for the places that you wanted to visit. And uh, I know that you are active in your own local forum in, in Alberta, but you found something very valuable in looking at other local forums that you otherwise would not look at. Tell us more about that. 
Well, it's uh, like I said, uh, when I started, it was in 2011 that I'd met the um, characters, uh, the, the folks with the Alberta Dual Sport, and it really accelerated from there. After joining these uh, this, this small group, uh, I've, we ended up having group rides, uh, tech days, coffee nights, and, and a bonding with folks of the same interest. Uh, these small motorcycle forums, they help in our area for many reasons, Jim. They uh, open up so many uh, avenues to find uh, local information. Uh, I'd mentioned to you earlier the ADV rider site, just absolutely fantastic. Lots of people frequent that. Uh, I've been on that site many a times, and lots of in the Harley owners group. My friend is a, a friend of the, or is, is on the Harley's owners group, and I've accessed information from there. But these are large, uh, wide variety sites, and also helpful for information. But as we were traveling along, uh, I noticed that even in our Alberta Dualsport.ca form, uh, people would uh, log on and they'd ask for information for rides in our province of uh, Alberta and also parts of uh, British Columbia and also in Saskatchewan. And Alberta Dual Sport is a bunch of uh, riders of like-minded uh, interests. So the variety of information we could get from these uh, local small forums is just fantastic. So, And I got thinking the same thing uh, when we hit the road that, gosh, we we had our laptops with us, our smartphones. We could access information. Uh, one we'd found for sure was Newfoundland, uh, Ride ride the Rock Farm. Oh, just a vast pile of information on, on trails and places to go. Uh, New Brunswick, uh, we uh, ended up riding with the uh, Crusaders, 74. Uh, we found their webpage and met many of the members on a four-day stayover at their uh, own clubhouse. I didn't realize that New Brunswick and Nova Scotia uh, their motorcycle groups, they seem to be their clubs, I guess. Uh, our Alberta Dual Sport is just a uh, web, open web form. We're not a club or nothing. But the uh, Crusaders, yeah, they have their own uh, club, and they had their own clubhouse. We stayed on at their property uh, with a bumper trailer. They had a campsite there of all things. And uh, this year, uh, they had the Horizons Unlimited come and stay there with them. They had a Horizons Unlimited meeting there just before they had the open club meet for the four-day ride. And I was surprised how many people showed up with holiday trailers and tent trailers, uh, motorcycles with uh, the smaller tent trailer showed up there. And then here we pulled in, and we just happened to be right in the, uh, the, the middle ground. We didn't have the big, big trailer, and we don't, didn't have the small one, but we did have a beautiful trailer. Uh, the, the web form also, these smaller web forms, are, they're just fantastic. Uh, one other one that I'd used uh, was the Northern Ontario Top 30 Motorcycle Rides by Mike Jacobs. Uh, I was able to pull off 15 rides uh, throughout Ontario here, Algonquin Park, lots of the trails along the uh, southern uh, tip here of Ontario, uh, the Grand River, found the Grand River ride online, uh, didn't chat with anybody online, but I found this information for rides. Another good one that I'm using right now is uh, bestbikingroads.com. Uh, 77 motorcycle rides in Florida. And wow, I found that webpage and then I started covering it. Uh, they posted GPS files of maps showing different roads through uh, Florida and uh, through the uh, uh, Everglades, through some of those uh, parks down there. And I just, wow, it really opens up. I just, I just can't stress enough how much uh, being an um, uh, uh, active member or even a, a participant in a local forum and how much difference it really makes to one person's uh, mind and uh, the drive it gives you. I, I, I'm very passionate about, uh, I guess you can hear that in my voice, I'm very passionate about motorcycle uh, adventures. Just your uh, Adventure Rider Radio, like wow, a fantastic tool for all of us to listen to. Uh, it just opens up so many avenues and ideas, and much like uh, the idea, I guess, that I've brought to you and uh, the listeners uh, of the uh, bumper trailer 
uh, pickup truck and a motorcycle to open up ideas on more wagon wheel rides. Well, you bring up two r- really good points, I think, with the the local forums. You know, you can join a local forum, and what that does is that gets you in, in touch, as you said, with um, local things that are going on. You're getting together to do tech days. You're getting together for local rides and, and the camaraderie of, of people around you. And it's really nice to find a way to get into that community. And then the re- other real and interesting aspect is you research a trip and going into those forums because I understand what you're saying about you know you go to a big forum like uh, Horizons Unlimited or ADV Rider and there's just loads of knowledge there and, and and these people have traveled through you know all these different areas but to get some real intimate knowledge of a local area when you go into that local forum where these guys are doing day trips all throughout the summer in their local area that is a real nugget of information to find that. that So part of our due diligence can be connecting with others to glean some information from them, see how things are done through their eyes and the mistakes they've made, learn from them. And even if you love figuring things out on your own, I sort of doubt you're the type of person that wants to go and reinvent the wheel and then the gasoline engine and then the motorcycle and sort of so on from there. So sometimes... We need to stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before to make things run smoothly. In fact, it's how we got where we are, and there's nothing wrong with it. It makes perfect sense. So using the resources we already have can make the trip run much smoother. And there's an argument, though, that planning and organization can give you peace of mind and even extra time to do the things and experience the things that you wanted to, which was the reason for the trip to begin with. Now, having said this, We've also talked a few times to people on Adventure Rider Radio about over-planning. And keep in mind, none of this is cut in stone because over-planning to one is due diligence to another. So you have to see where you weigh into this whole thing or where your comfort zone is. But sometimes, just due to the sheer volume of information available, in particular on the internet, but everywhere really, some experienced travelers say that it's possible to over-plan and to have an itinerary that's so tight, so strict, so, so detailed, and and time focused that it can actually stress you out. Whereas keeping your plan a little loose with some time for spontaneity, well, that will allow you to meet interesting people, maybe a family, stay with someone that you wouldn't have otherwise done. Uh, those loose plans allow for that spontaneity that can really make a trip. And it also breakdowns or problems you may encounter, they can be handled with a little bit of loose time. Whereas if you have a tight schedule, in particular, if you're talking about visas or even your total trip time, it can make something unbearably stressful. And we've heard stories of visas running out, the pressure of racing to the border. That's not to say these things won't happen anyway, but why set yourself up for them? That goes for long or short trips. I think that anyone who's traveled much has experienced those unexpected opportunities that end up being the gem of the trip or the week or the day. One other thing to remember is what Grant Johnson always reminds us about is taking a break from your vacation that you need a day off every now and then so you can regroup maybe once a week. I mean, you have to figure it out for yourself, but you need to build those days off into your trip planning to just kick back and take a breather from the trip. That's a me day. You just do what you want, but mainly relax because endless travel and miles on the bike will get to you no matter who you are, no matter what kind of a rider you are, in particular, if you throw in problems. And I mean, let's face it, when you're traveling, you're bound to have something not go right. Budget. Wow, the budget. 
Some can survive on dollars a day. Others need far, far more than that. Asking what your budget should be is kind of like asking what color of bike you should take on your trip. Um, on our other show, Adventure Rider Radio Raw, the group of us have uh, some tips about that. We sat around and talked about this. Here's Brian Ricks, Shirley Hardy Ricks, Grant Johnson, Sam Manicom, and myself on Raw talking about budget. You guys had already mentioned the reserve and saying that you, you thought $1,000 was a, a good chunk of money to have on reserve. I, I'm still sort of curious, how are you coming up with, I mean, are you, have you guys actually sat down and figured out your cost of your visa, your cost of your flights, and sort of come up with um, a dollar figure to say, okay, it's going to cost me between twenty-five dollars and $45,000, that sort of thing before you go? Nope. No. No, 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 we didn't do it before we went. We just worked out where we wanted to go what we wanted to do, what we wanted to see, and thought, okay, well, we, we'll allow, um, it was tens of thousands of dollars for this trip. And in the end, we didn't spend as much as we thought we would. Yeah. You can't, that can't but we're happen. probably the worst ones to talk to because, you know, budget um, is a very fluid thing for us. The first trip we did, um, Brian was on long service leave, so we were getting paid. The second one we did, we just saved like crazy and we had a lot of um, of money available to us. And as Brian said, we actually came home with money. So um, I don't like going places and getting to the gate of Nordcap and not paying money to go in. So mm. I like to have extra. And I'd rather um, really cut back on stuff before we go to make sure there's extra there. And if you budget for spending what you'd spend at home with some extra on top, you, you're usually going to be pretty right. I think that's a very fair way of judging it. I mean, all the things we've been talking about, uh, no, I don't look at all of those things when I'm working out what I'm likely to be spending. Um, mostly because, well, I've perhaps done my bigger trips when um, it's not been so easy to access the information. Um, shorter trips, yeah, I have a look at it. So, for example, going to Norway, we'd heard so um, how expensive Norway was, so we spent a fair bit of time looking at hotel prices and um, fuel prices, food prices, camping site prices, et cetera, et cetera, so that we could come up, oh, and ferries, so that we could come up with an idea about how much the trip was going to cost us. Um, once we got that figure in our mind, we didn't we didn't bother to break it down into a um, a daily routine figure. Um, we just knew mm. that we'd got X amount of money to spend, and if we were careful, um, then living within um, our mental budget, as in we knew we needed to do a fair bit of wild camping, we knew we needed to stay on camping sites if we wanted to have a shower, um, those sorts of things. Um, then our budget, our, our, our total figure for the trip was going to be fine. I was talking to a chap a couple of days ago and I said to him, because um, he's just gone across um, Central Asia, and I asked him how much um, he ended up spending going across Central Asia and he did it for a year and a half. Um, and uh, he said that he was spending between um, 30 and 45 US dollars a day all in. So that's his travel insurance, his shipping and freighting, his accommodation, his fuel, his food, um, just absolutely everything that he was going to be coming across on the road that needed money spending on it. Um, that was what he was um, looking at doing. And um, we said, okay, well, let's just have a look and see what that is for a year. So 365 days, multiply it by the $30. So he spent um, just under $11,000 US 
for that year. Um, and he but said, that's, I could have lived cheaper than that. But that's Central Asia. Mm, yeah. That's Central Asia. It's true. It's you true. know, true. Where, you're, where you're paying $12 at a hostel for bed, breakfast and dinner, whereas in Norway you're paying for a cheap um, cabin at a campground the equivalent of 250 Australian dollars. So it's it's a, you really need to look at where you're going, and Absolutely. we come from Australia is a very expensive country to live in and to travel around and to buy food. So a lot of the places that we visit on trips, you get to Norway and it's more expensive than Australia. In Central Asia, you just can't believe how cheap it is. So if you're doing a long trip, it evens itself out. You'll do some expensive countries and other countries where you'll be surprised how cheap things are. Yeah, the yeah. trick is to make sure you don't spend too much time in the expensive countries. We spent way too much time in Europe on our trip, and that we regret that now because you can always go back later. Uh, we would have had more time in Central America or, sorry, in um, Africa and South America if we had spent less time and less money in Europe. Europe's yeah. just so expensive. And that, that brings up the, the subtopic we had here of stretching your budget. So, so, by the way, somebody with a microphone with a beard, who has a beard? Who doesn't have a beard? Surely. Shirley? I don't have a beard, so it's not me. And I don't have a beard. Must be me. Must be me. Somebody my was... microphone must have got tangled up in my beard. <laughs> <laughs> Just see, see what I have to live see with? See if you can find it. Sorry <laughs> <laughs> for it, Shirley. Don't worry. Thanks, I think I've got but, but that brings up the, the, the subtopic of stretching your budget and, uh, and ideas on how to make your dollar more than just a dollar. And, and one of them could be hanging out at an inexpensive area, right? If you find a place to wild camp, it's costing you very little to stay there. Hang out and enjoy it. Yeah. Well, that's one way of doing it. But when you're doing a trip, you want to travel. Well, sometimes you wanna, it's good to stay. You, you need to take a break, too. I mean, you can't you do drive, need to take every a break. day all day. No, we always take big breaks. I'm thinking yep. you want to get to know these areas because, like, I know for me, for traveling around, like we're, we're traveling right now, just w within our country, we like to stop and get to know the areas that we're in a little bit. Hang on a little bit. There's just something about, you know, spending enough time to become familiar with an area that, um, I don't know, it just, it, to me, it just makes it a little bit richer experience. And the faster and that's, you travel, and the, and the farther you go, the more expensive it is. If you go slowly and you stop and stay and you buy food in the local market and cook it yourself, that's way cheaper than hitting a restaurant every day because you're moving so fast you don't have time to stop. You do need to stop. You need to take a break. You need to enjoy the places. And sometimes places that you're going to want to enjoy are going to be expensive. You can't just say, I've found a cheap place. I'm going to stay here. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of places that are expensive that you still need to absorb the culture and, uh, and the beautiful scenery. And, and that's so, what you want to plan yeah. for. Otherwise, you end up going on a trip and not being able to go see you know, the, the site exactly. that's at the end of the, the yeah. trail, so to speak. I, exactly. I think the part that, that goes with that, the most important part where that seems to get missed is if you've got a certain amount of money to spend, the trick is not to go as far as you can. It's to go at an appropriate distance for your budget that you're comfortable with, that you're having a good time, you're seeing the things you want to see, and you're not scrimping and saving so much that you're missing out on NordCap. Um, exactly. And, and basically, when you run out of money, you go home instead of saying, well, I'm going to do this trip. And I'm going to spend 10 cents a day because that's all I've got. You can't do that. Enjoy the trip. Make the trip worthwhile. Make it memorable. Make it fun. Have a good time. Do the things that are important to see. And save the rest for another time. Sam, how about some tips for stretching your budget? 
Um, just one comment on what Grant's just said there before I before I do that. And he, you know, he's talking about the distance to ride and so on, and um, spending money according to the to the budget that you've actually got. I couldn't agree more with that. Um, I think there are. It's it's one of the hard things when people are looking about the amount of money that they've got and the amount of time they've got, and where ideally they would like their dreams to take them. And this again goes back to my thing, you know, just take it easy for the first weeks and slow down and and take it steady. And it fits in with what everybody has just been saying about actually taking time out to stop and look at places and to spend longer in them. Um, because, you know, you can spend all of your time riding past the stuff that you may never see again just mm-hmm. for the sake of being on the move. And you may end up staying in places where um, you're spending no money, but you're not seeing hardly anything at all. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a real constant common sense balance. And those those breaks from the road are really important because you can get to the stage where you've, you've ridden yourself into a rut, a, a budget rut. Um, and that means that, you know, you've got your blinkers on and you're chogging along and you're doing what you think's right. And then you stay in one place for a while and all of a sudden you think, yeah, but I've not seen this and I've ridden past that and I could have looked at that and I should have stopped there and taken that, yes. that roll of film or whatever else it might have been. Um, so those breaks are really important. But making money as you're traveling. Now, this is one of my my pet loves because um, not only does it help keep you on the road, but it introduces you to all sorts of possibilities. You meet new people, you learn new skills, um, just, yeah, fantastic things. Um, I've always traveled on a tight budget. And so I'm always looking for ways um, to make little bits of money as I'm going. And um, for example, in Zimbabwe, I bought plain white T-shirts. They cost me absolutely buttons. When I got down to Cape Town, I bought a, a load of fabric paint. I painted designs on the front of T-shirts and then went down and sat on the edge of the market in Cape Town. And every time a cruise liner came in, these T-shirts, which had probably cost me about 75 cents to altogether to do, maybe a little bit more than that, um, I was selling for $20. And um, I was meeting some really interesting people. Um, not necessarily the people off the cruise ships, but the people that were on the stalls beside me. These guys all had very interesting stories. And if I hadn't done that, then I would never have learned about this aspect of life in Cape Town. Another job that I did was I was watching people doing hair braids, you know, hair wraps with with um, embroidery threads. And I sat and watched and I learned how to do it. And then I was doing hair braids in people's hair, um, guys and girls. I was earning a fortune by doing that. And the beauty of that was that these threads took up almost no space. So virtually everywhere I went, I could just set up with a bit of cardboard and a chair. And I was making my dollars, my my cents turn into dollars very quickly by doing that. When we traveled up through um, or down through Africa, we bought all sorts of ebony carvings, little just pendant type things and soapstone. We posted those to the States. Um, when we were coming up through South and um, South and Central America, we were buying leather plats and leather thongs and um, silver wire and that sort of stuff and posted those to the States. And when we got there, we had a, a jewelry making session. And as we traveled on round, then we were selling the dependents and the people that we were meeting just purely and simply because of that contact of, of turning the cents into dollars again was fantastic. It just gave us a complete new aspect to the trip and the money earned meant that we managed to eat better and stay in nice places and so on. 
Do you know that I'm going to be talking about something much more high powered. If you know somebody who knows their way around finances, um, then just make sure that the funds that you have got are always kept in high end earning interest accounts while you're traveling. Um, and, you know, that person who is helping you at home with that, they know that they keep an eye on your on the road bank balance so that they just drip feeding out of those high interest accounts into your on the road access account. And that works for you in, in two ways. Not only does it mean that you've got that better interest rate that your money is earning, um, your wedge, um, but it also means that you've not got a large amount of money in your bank account at any one particular time. So if you do get scammed, um, then the chances are they're not actually going to, to rob your account of a huge amount of money. Yeah. yeah. Well, nowadays you can do most of that on the road anyway yourself, mm -hmm. um, which, which we've done. Um, but you're right. You don't have a lot of money in your working account. So if you do lose your credit card with that with, with that's uh, linked to, uh, the, the chances of it uh, being draining every red cent you've got are minimal. So this summer, while you're out, this has to be a destination for you or worked into your route of travel. It's Beaverdell, British Columbia, in southern British Columbia on Highway 33, the Red Rock Garage, a small coffee shop with a motorcycle addiction. They have camping there. They've got an EV charging station. Not that you'll probably need that on your bike, unless you're riding a zero, possibly. But... They've got uh, camping there where you can stay overnight. They've got a and b so you can make it a destination. It's just north of Washington State, and it has incredible riding in the area. It's deep in the Monashee Mountains. It is definitely a place to go. Work it into your next trip out. That's Beaverdell in southern British Columbia on Highway 33, the Red Rock Garage. And, of course, they've got fuel there and coffee. Stop by. Make sure when you do, tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. The Red Rock Garage, www.redrockgarage.com. .ca. That's www.redrockgarage.ca. Well, when it comes to standing up on your bike, you're standing on your pegs, which means your foot pegs are really important. And you know, the really surprising thing is, is just how sort of, dare I say, wimpy those stock pegs are that you get on your bike. If you have a look at what IMS products is putting out, IMS has an incredible array of foot pegs there. You can basically choose from a smaller peg to a larger peg, but they're designed specifically for adventure motorcycling. Uh, they've got the ADV1s and the ADV2s that I, I strongly recommend that you look at. These pegs are cast certified stainless steel, 17.4 um, stainless steel, heat treated, they're built in the USA, and they're warranted for life. They're designed to shed mud out of the pedal. So which means when you drop the bike into the mud, it doesn't ball up in a big ball of mud that sticks under your foot and makes your foot slide off. It's just one of the design aspects of things. The owner of IMS told me that when they were testing these foot pegs, one of the things they did was they put them in a press and they crushed them down until both sides touched. Let go of them, it sprung back and there was nothing wrong with it other than the marks that the press had put on them. Incredible stuff. Drop by their website, www.imsproducts.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, be sure, please drop our name in there. Tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. 
Now, comfort is definitely important, I think, to most of us. And, you know, even if you're a, you're a tough person, you, you feel that you can take a lot, comfort goes a long way. In particular, like I've said already in this, when things go wrong, which you can sort of count on. But the basic shelter, your tent, it can't be understated. Remember, as Sam Manicom says, your tent is your home, so it better be a good one. Well, the first thing is a decent tent. Um, if, if there's one of you, then um, a large two-person tent. If there are two of you, then definitely a three-person tent. It's going to be your home. It's got to be somewhere that you can sit up inside. It's got to have mosquito netting on both ends so that you can have a draft going through it when it's really hot. Um, I always go for at least a three-season tent because I want to be able to camp wherever I find myself and in whatever conditions it's well worth spending the money on a decent tent. Likewise, um, a good sleeping bag. Um, always either a three-season or a four-season sleeping bag. Um, you know, if it's cold, you're going to be really happy. And even in hot countries, there's altitude, and you can be really cold in the desert, for example. Uh, if it's hot, then don't, don't, don't use it. Um, we always carry cotton or silk sleeping bag liners with us, and they're, they're great when it's really hot. A decent sleeping mat, that's also very, very good. If you're going to aim for somewhere where you're going to have a lot of cold weather, then I'm a, a big advocate of downfilled sleeping bags. The difference that they make in temperature uh, retention for you is, is quite phenomenal because, of course, you lose most of the heat in your body when you're camping through your sleeping mat and into the ground. Um, if you haven't got a, a down sleeping mat, then, um, yeah, well, just go to the local supermarket and get some cardboard boxes and stick those underneath you. That uh, It makes a phenomenal difference. I think one of the other things is um, having a petrol stove. You've inevitably got fuel with you, so there's nothing worse than having to spend ages trawling around trying to find gas cylinders when you've got petrol So and the bulk of carrying gas. Why do it when you can carry uh, when you've got your, f your petrol with you all of the time. I think if you can if you can sleep well and you can eat well, then you're going to travel in, in the healthiest and best frame of mind. Uh, we always make sure that we set off the day with a hot drink inside us and a meal inside us. Uh, by meal, I mean a bowl of muesli, for example. I know some people just get up and, and travel, but... I like to be ready for the unexpected. And if we've got a hot drink inside us and um, uh, some food inside of us, then basically we can keep going through just about whatever the road um, throws at us until we find somewhere comfortable that we want to have lunch. Birgit and I always use um, a stainless steel thermos flask and it's got a, a liter of, of water in it. And uh, one of the things we do in the evening is we'll boil a load of water and we'll fill the thermos flask with that. And then first thing in the morning, we'll be making a cup of tea or a cup of coffee as we're getting ourselves packed up. And while we're getting packed up, then the billy's on the boil for filling that thermos. And so uh, when we're traveling through the morning, we've got hot water ready for the next cup of coffee. And uh, yeah, it's I like the freedom that that can give you. Now, depending on where you're going, you may have to ship your bike. And shipping can be confusing and frustrating and, and it can soak up a lot of your time and, and effort. That low-cost deal, for instance, of getting your bike onto a ship can often turn out to be a bruised purse or wallet at the other end. The two ways that people look at shipping bikes, obviously, is either going to be by ship or by air. And your choice is? Usually by air. 
although there can be some caveats to that. One of the th things that people think about when they're shipping is which direction do you ship? For instance, if you wanted to travel from Canada to South America, which is a very common route, you have a choice. Usually people don't want to ride both ways. So they ride from home to the bottom of South America and then they want to ship home. Or you can ship your bike to the other end and ride home. And there's pluses and minuses to both. Okay, so that's a very good point. If you're going to ship your bike somewhere to ride, you run into the problem of delays. That, that's got to be the number one thing. Number one thing. Absolutely. It happens all the time. I could tell you a million stories about what happens with shipping your bike out from home. Um, one, of the, one happened to us. We shipped our bike from Canada to New Zealand on our way to Australia. And when we arrived, we went down to the docks and said, where's the bike? And they said, oh, well, there's a slight problem. We have a dock strike on. Mm. A dock strike? Okay. And so nothing's getting out. We sat and waited for three weeks, waiting for the bike. That can be very frustrating and expensive because usually you're stuck in a big city because that's where the dock is. and You want to keep going in and checking regularly and see how things are going and what's going on. And that's very frustrating. Um, another woman that we know who had already ridden around the world decided at some point that she was going to ship her bike from England to, I think it was Colombia or Ecuador, I can't remember which, but it doesn't matter. Point is, she arrived there, gave herself plenty of time because she knew how long it takes bikes to get shipped and there can be delays. And she gave herself lots of time, arrived helmet in hand and said, where's my bike? And they said, what bike? So she phones back eventually to the dock, the shipper that she had arranged back in London. And they said, oh, it's, it's sitting here. We haven't been able to find a container to put it into. And it takes three months to get your bike there. So there's no way she got her bike. She's, there's no way she got her bike. She had a three-month vacation, and it was going to be three months for it to get there. So that could be hugely frustrating. So when you're talking about the shipping, that, that example you gave there in particular, where you're talking about going to South America, the wise thing to do, of course, would be to ship it back, because at least if you're shipping it to your home, you can wait, and the delays aren't going to cost you a fortune. Absolutely. Uh, the, the problem of your bike not being there when you get there by sea is way too common. It's, it's too, too easy for that to be a problem. Whereas if you're shipping home, you can, you're there, you arrange the shipping, you get everything done, you get the bike sent, and then you fly home. And if the bike doesn't arrive immediately, you can borrow a car or maybe you've got one or you can borrow a bike from a friend or something, but it's not a big deal. Your vacation, your trip isn't ruined because you don't have your bike. Yeah, and like you said, you're not stuck in, in an expensive hotel in a place you don't want to be. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there is a solution to that. You can always rent a local bike or buy a local bike and ride around, but that's, that wasn't the plan. Now, if you don't have the time or you just aren't into the aggravation of crating your bike up to be shipped or dealing with the shipping agents or the airlines, you can always rent a bike or take a tour. In particular, if you have time constraints, rentals and organized trips can pack an adventure into a shorter time span with far less hassles and pre-planning than if you go and do it on your own. And then you also have the support of the company. That's if you don't mind shelling out a few extra bucks for it. Medical coverage. When it comes to medical insurance, most travelers will agree it is a must. 
Medical costs can be hugely expensive. I mean, through the roof, beyond what any average person could ever hope to afford. And if you have an accident or a crash and you're stuck with an expensive hospital bill, it can affect not just you, but your friends and family that feel obligated to try and bail you out. And when shopping for insurance, you need to pay special attention to the details. Ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. Be sure to get the right coverage for you. Grant Johnson recently told me of medical coverage in the UK. Apparently, it's, it's either one company or, or a few companies, maybe all of them, I'm, I'm not sure, um, will void your insurance if you ride a motorcycle, any motorcycle at all. So that can create real problems for you. And when you're filling out the forms, you need to be 100% honest. If you lie on the form to get the, the better deal and the coverage or maybe get coverage that would otherwise be refused and then you have an accident, you try and make a claim, insurance companies make money by selling insurance, not giving away money on claims. And you can be sure they're going to look into your claim and if they can find any way that you've lied to them or you've misled them or something's been done wrong that will save them from paying the bill, I'm, I'm willing to bet that that's exactly what they'll do. In fact, we did an episode some time ago dealing with accidents and motorcycles, and that's what the lawyer that we had on said, that the, the uh, insurance companies are out there to try not to pay the claims. I mean, that's basically what they're up to when they're looking at the claims. And you have to you know, figure that's their business. That's what they do. They want to make sure they're fully obligated before they send out any money. Well, there is so much more we could talk about, but our time's up for this week. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our episodes, drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. Send us a message on our contact page. Also, the show notes for this episode, there's links in there to hear more about the topics that we covered today. I just want to remind you this episode was made possible for you today in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at www.greenchiliadv.com, and Moto Breeze Chain Oilers, www.motobreeze.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Thank you very much. We're on the road right now, so this episode was recorded in Revelstoke, British Columbia. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Oh, wait, before you go, you can drop by our website and listen to all of our episodes for free, www.adventureriderradio.com. Don't forget about our other show, ARR Raw. It comes out once a month, and uh, it's a roundtable discussion of of adventure travel, motorcycles, and basically anything else. Also available by going to our website and clicking on the raw button and anywhere download anywhere you download your podcast. That's for both shows. So and you still have to subscribe separately to each. So make sure you do that. And if you're interested in helping us out, supporting the show, I truly believe in supporting things that you like and that you like to get delivered to you. We deliver this every week to you, and it's built on a model of advertising and listener support to make the whole thing work out. So anything ten dollars or more will get you a sticker sent back at you for your 
gas tank or for your panniers and anything $50 or more gets you a mention on the, our raw show we also have patrons set up for monthly supports you do it once and you support the show every month which we absolutely love anyway either way thank you very much and maybe see you out there on the road my name is jim martin this is adventure rider radio see you next week Hi, this is Gina Marie Austin, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. <laughs>